Hi, I'm Mary Swan, Artistic Director of Proteus, and you're listening to Indestructible. If you enjoyed this show, please share, subscribe and leave a five-star review. Thanks for listening. Hi, thanks for joining us for Indestructible, the podcast connected to the show created by Proteus and touring nationally in 2024. I'm Mary Swan, Artistic Director of Proteus and Director and Writer of Indestructible, the show. My guest for this edition is the actor and writer Danny Charles. Danny's had a long and successful career as an actor, working for theatres across the UK, including Bolton Octagon, Polka and Croydon Warehouse, and has played roles as diverse as Shakespeare's Macduff, A Turtle in the Little Mermaid and Ebenezer Scrooge, for me, at Proteus. And elsewhere, he's been a panto dame at Hoxton Hall and appeared at Dead Man's production of the highly acclaimed cross-dressing cowboy musical Yeehaw. Danny also plays the part of Christian, the creator, in Indestructible. Danny has joined me today to talk about his career path as an actor and wrestling with the question of whether we can ever really separate the art from the artist. Hello, Danny. Hello. <laughs> How are you? You're right. Always a pleasure to be with you, Mary. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the things that we've, we've been talking about with the cast of Indestructible, and you weren't able to make it when we talked to the rest of the cast together, that's why you're here today, is we were talking about career paths as actors and sort of how people found their way into the industry and whether you started off as an actor or whether you were thinking in other films, because you're a writer as well, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, although I think the writing came much later. At school, I can remember doing shows at school and I went to a state comprehensive in Tottenham and we did our plays. I was in St George and the Dragon as the Black Knights and I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And then I thought, I really would love to do this as a career. But to be honest, maybe the idea coming from a comprehensive... And living in Tottenham, are those the sort of people who become actors? I didn't see myself doing that. I'm also black and um, you just didn't see that many black actors around at that point. There were some, but certainly not in major roles, I suppose. So I just didn't see myself doing that. So what made the difference? What made you then go from I don't see myself to feeling that you really wanted to pursue it? So... I left school and became an engineer, did a three-year apprenticeship. And on day one of starting my job, I was an engineer on the post office, I thought, this is hell. I absolutely hate this. And it's very typical of me. I stayed there for nine years, despite (laughs) that hatred. Uh, But you kind of get stuck in, you know, you have the money coming in and and I got a mortgage and it kind of locks you into that. And a friend of mine was doing the Knowledge of London. He wanted to be a taxi driver and I thought, oh, well, maybe that's a way of getting out. I can dig my own tunnel by doing the Knowledge. And then nine years after I started, I passed and the next day I walked in and handed my resignation And then it was fine. It wasn't fantastic driving a cab, but it gave me some thinking space, gave me some time to think, what do I really want to do in my life? And I ended up doing an evening acting class at um, Mount View Theatre School. And I thought, wow, this is just amazing. I love this. And I met people who were weird like me, who kind (laughs) of understood me and, you know, 
And then I went to Aura and did a postgrad there and lucky enough to get an agent after that. And yeah, it's been 30 odd years. Wow. Since that, <laughs> I know. Don't I look know. it. Oh. <laughs> It's very dark light in here. That's probably why. But thank you very much. But that's interesting because you were saying about that evening acting class at Mountview. Mm. And we were talking to Mary Rose, who she introduced us, in fact. Yes. Old friend of both of us. And and she was talking about going to the poor school after doing her degree. And a lot of that has gone, hasn't it? That access to acting classes with people who maybe have to work. And, you know, that class distinction is a real worry, isn't it, at the moment? It is. And I wonder how many people like me from those kinds of working class background, I suppose, how easy they're going to find it to get into the profession in the in the future. Mm. And actually, when I was luckily being a black cab driver, I funded it myself because I couldn't get a grant when I went there. So there was a discretionary grant and they just refused to give any discretionary grants that that year. So basically what I did was I did the course during the day and then I went out in the cab in the evening. Blimey. Which, yeah, I mean, it wasn't easy at that point and I borrowed lots of money and and that's probably why I just did the year. It was probably madness, I suppose, when I think back on it now. And how many people are going to want to do that level or be in the position to actually do that, especially in the climate that we're in at the moment? That's a real shame if that's the case because really it should be about the talent, shouldn't it? Absolutely. And, I mean, I've said that before because I'm from working-class background and came up through the associate director roles in different Mm. companies that just aren't there anymore. And I think it's the same across our industry in whatever role you're in, really, that, you know, it's incredibly hard to sort of make your way if you have to eat (laughs) money if you're not (laughs) bankrolled in some form or another and it does feel like we've gone backwards a bit doesn't it really from the sort of industry we entered well and if you think about it covid has probably made it even worse there are a lot of people in the business who have just thought that's it and i have to be honest when covid hits because these days i do lots of corporate work corporate role play everything just went everything all at once and i did think what is the future who knows Mm. because you've got to sustain yourself you've got to pay your bills a lot of us have got mortgages children people dependent on you so yeah 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 makes it difficult no it does it does and you were saying kind of when you were growing up that you didn't see yourself represented but the few that you did who were your role models who who did you look up to who did you model yourself on (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh, my God. So you're basically talking about successful black actors. Well, of, uh, well, of any colour, really, anyone that you really admired or... Do you know what I mean? When you're a kid and you go, ooh, that's mm. the sort of career I'd like. I'd like to be that person. I'm probably going to say something a bit weird now, so please forgive me. It wouldn't be the first time, darling. <laughs> <laughs> True to form. Yes. So, sorry if anyone's listening to this. Um, so I never saw myself being famous you know I never saw myself as a big star or anything I just kind of wanted to be on stage and I wanted to perform be in front of an audience and do interesting work that I loved but Mm. the idea of and I think I would hate it now the idea of walking down the street and people coming up to you and oh 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 I, I mean 
having said that, after a show, <laughs> if people come to you and say, well done, I really like, that's great. Yeah. That's really nice. But just having a proper life and just, mm. I love my anonymity and thank heavens, I, <laughs> my wonderful creative genius has enabled me to <laughs> Thank but, goodness we're completely <laughs> obscure. <laughs> but sorry, I've I've gone off the track because I, I was meant to say who's influenced me, haven't I? Yeah, De Niro, obviously, um, Daniel Day Lewis. Actually, I'm saying all men here. <laughs> yeah, that's really bad, isn't it? Well, no. and, but actually, that um, and if you're saying a black actor who I've really, really have loved for years and think is fantastic, is probably Denzel Washington. If you look at what he's done. And I remember seeing, um, oh, God, what was the Shakespeare he did years ago? I think it was seeing him in that and thinking, wow, he can he can just do everything. I, this think, guy. I think a lot of us saw him in that <laughs> and went, oh, hello. <laughs> <laughs> but actually... <laughs> I love the fact that um, he doesn't take any nonsense either. He knows what he wants. He's quite driven in doing what he wants. And and I like that. I, mm. I like his inner confidence that he has. Because I think, if I'm being hand-on-heart honest, I think that's been something that's been quite lacking from my side, really. The Indestructible podcast was produced for Proteus Theatre by the brilliant team at Creative Kin. Getting the right people behind your podcast is so important and Creative Kin were a great choice to make our show. If you're an ambitious brand keen to expand your reach, go to creativekin.co.uk forward slash launch to find out how you can reach a new audience. Do you feel like... For you, as a black actor coming... So when did you start working, sort of in the late 80s, early 90s? I went to Aura 1990 to 91. Right, yeah. So as you say, you know, even then, there really certainly stage-wise, there really wasn't a lot of... And certainly roles that weren't about the ethnicity of the actor being the reason why they got the role. But did you feel that coming into the industry? I had lots of friends from outside who... Nothing to do with acting... You know, taking the mickey and going, oh, so were you going to be a mugger on oh, uh, Crime Watch? Or do you know what I mean? Yeah. Because I suppose that was kind of the reality, isn't it? You probably wouldn't be playing, I don't know, a doctor, a solicitor, or something. I think these days, I love the casting mm. now. Mm. And I love the blind casting that they're doing, mm. both actually as far as ethnicity is concerned, but also male-female. I think they're being incredibly creative. And I think the audiences are accepting it and thinking that's great. Yeah. Why not? No, I think you're right. It's interesting because we've both worked with um, wonderful actor with cerebral palsy, um, yes. Dan Edge, who, who is a real advocate for uh, the rights of people with disabilities yes. in the acting profession. And... We've talked with him a lot around how it feels like for actors with disabilities, we're just getting to that point you're talking about where there is more blind casting happening. But yeah. it feels like we're just at the beginning of that, doesn't it? Well, uh, and actually, I can remember years ago, I was in this actor's cooperative. I'm not going to say the name. <laughs> <laughs> but we would get letters. And I can remember this one actor who was blind and he'd sent a letter in 
And we would discuss it at our sort of Monday meetings, whether or not we were going to take people in. And this uh, one guy said, oh, you've got this from this guy and this guy's blind. And they went, oh, right. Says, yeah, 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 best of luck, I suppose. It wasn't even discussed. No. You know, he was just kind of pushed to the side, really. Yeah, I mean, it's got a, got a long way to go, I think, as an industry, particularly stage-wise, I think, but I think a lot of that also has to do with the physical accessibility of theatres and a lot of old theatres. And Totally. I've done touring shows with Dan where the audience, there was accessible entrances for the audience to get in, but nowhere for him to get on stage as an actor. Oh, right. <laughs> Just <laughs> speaks volumes. But we were, you worked with him, with me, on a play that you wrote mm. um, called Talk To Me, which was about homelessness. Just how did you start to make that transition into writing work as well? Because you've been writing for a long time, haven't you? I mean, how um, did that come about? Um Last night, I'm g- I'm going to answer your question. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> I was watching a documentary on Sylvester Stallone and he was talking about the fact that he got barely any work. You know, he would go audition after audition. they go, oh, your eyes are too slopey and you mumble, we can't, oh, no, sorry, you're not going to get it. And it's that realisation that you're pigeonholed as certain things and people aren't really giving you those chances. So he thought, I'm just going to write. I'm going to do my own stuff. And I think maybe that's kind of been the fire for me, that I wanted to create and do my own stuff. And I was interested in telling stories, I suppose. So you didn't feel those stories were being told by anybody else? No, but... Obviously, you know I'm a black actor and stuff, but I always feel if I start talking about this, people will say, oh, right, so obviously you want to talk about the black experience Mm. and what Mm. it's like (laughs) to be black. And, you know, oh, gosh, because there's so much to say about And absolutely, there's a load to say about that. But that hasn't always been the focus of what I wanted to talk about. And I I kind of feel sometimes there's that expectation. I'm sure female artists get that. You know, also you obviously want to talk about the female perspective and it almost feels like white men are allowed to talk about whatever they want. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) It's true. I think think as a female artist, that's a viewpoint that's laid on your work afterwards. You know, some of the work I do, as you know, and Indestructible is one of those, is, is very openly, you know, a feminist piece. But... Other work, you know, direct something else, that you know, Shakespeare or whatever else, then mm. often in the way that critics talk about it, they'll layer on the female side of it as being somehow influencing. And I guess it does, but you kind of get a little bit irritated by that. But I think I think it's more overt, mm. isn't it, for you, I, I guess, in the work that you make. So maybe we have our intention and we think when we're writing it, that's the intent, that's what we want to do. And other people will put on it whatever they want. Maybe it's more their issues they're putting on rather than what we actually want to say. But you've written a novel, haven't you? Or you're writing a novel? I'm currently writing a novel. You shouldn't have asked me that because I'm going to talk far too long. (laughs) No, 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 please do. Please do. (laughs) So I did this creative writing class at Cambridge and I realised family and... That's the big thing I kind of want to talk about, those kinds of relationships. So my father left my mother when I was three. Apparently my mother gave birth 
to my younger brother. He was looking after me. He dropped me off at my mum's house and I've never seen him since. I think he has six or seven other children with other women or something. So I thought I've probably got some relatives out there and I thought I'm going to do some DNA testing and see if I can find out a bit more. Did the DNA testing. I found a first cousin who lives in Florida. So my father and his father were half-brothers. I also found out I'm 25% Portuguese. And talking to my cousin, I went online and we had a conversation on Zoom or something. She said, my grandfather was this Portuguese businessman called José Arrez, who had come over from the island of Madeira with his wife, had lots of children with other women, but not with his wife. And my grandmother and her grandmother were one of the two women he'd had children with. She'd also said that her grandmother had refused to tell her father who his dad was. So refused to tell him who this Portuguese businessman was. And I thought, what could be so horrendous that you, you can't do that, you can't say that? I thought, that's a wonderful premise for a book. <laughs> Brilliant. So, yeah, so my novel starts with the death of the mother and it's about this guy trying to find out who his dad is. That's really nice. I like that. Yeah, no, thank you. Thank you. But I think, as you say, I think, you know, and that's sort of part of where Indestructible comes from. We're We're working through a lot of different stuff. And one of the themes is around this idea of how much we can separate the art from the artist. And there's a section in the show where you and Paul ask the audience to make a decision as to is it okay or not okay Yeah. to sort of, you know, play this person's music or look mm. at this person's art. But then there's another section as well where we talk about that because your character, Christian, is curator of this mythical gallery that's opening in the north of England. And you at one point talk about the money and greenwashing and Mm. how in the end it's very difficult to sort of work that. And I wondered who's disappointed you the most when you found out that they were not really (laughs) the person you wanted them to be. Have Have you had a real letdown from anyone? I've thought long and hard about this and I th- I think it's probably Michael Jackson. Yeah. Just because he was such an icon for me. He was such a massive, massive star. I loved his music so much. I remember when the Thriller video mm. first came out and a mate of mine had videoed it and then we all went round to his house and we w- sat and watched it and we're wow. And then we wanted to watch it again several times because yeah. we just loved it so yeah. much. It was he was fantastic. And in a way, he's kind of this almost like mythical figure, but he started out as a very dark <laughs> man. Yes, yeah. And I know he claims he had vitiligo. And if he had white patches, why didn't he put cream on to make it dark like the rest of his skin or whatever instead of going completely light, you know? Mm. And you think... What was he saying about his colour and how he felt about his colour that he became very, very light? Yeah. What is going on there? I think I was disappointed that maybe it was a denial of who he actually was. Yes. I think that really disappointed me. And then clearly all the stuff with young kids in his bed. Mm. 
And you think, okay, you know, if they were his children, but they're only up to a certain time, because obviously if they're too big, it just becomes inappropriate. But, you know, his children in his bed at night, well, okay. But really, Mm. I get the fact that he hasn't lived a real life. He's probably surrounded by sycophants or was, you know, everyone's saying how fantastic he is and all that. So maybe he didn't have those people saying, look, this is weird. You should not be having young people in your bed. The point we make in the show as well, and Michael Jackson is an interesting one, is the people around those people too. So all of the people involved in his band, all the people who've written all the songs. And so it becomes quite a thorny thing, doesn't it, if you just completely cancel someone. I mean, I don't really feel like cancelling someone works because I think then you never hold them to accountable. You just... Ignore them. I mean, there were various court cases, weren't there? Mm. And he didn't deny that he had young children in his bed. And he he also talked about it. Oh, it's just a beautiful thing. You know, he Mm. didn't say he was having sex with them or anything. But come on now. So do you listen to Michael Jackson still? Well, (laughs) (laughs) is that a big question? (laughs) Yes, but Mm. then I think I'm probably going to only listen to Michael Jackson with headphones on. I'm wondering what maybe people think although I did have a conversation about this recently and everyone went yeah yeah oh yeah of course no he's absolutely fine my slight worry at the moment is I will listen but then if in five or ten years stuff comes out about Michael Jackson and you think oh my god really I will feel guilt but then do you not think that the art that's made becomes something else because it's so it spoke to you so clearly because I think he was at the height of his powers when we were buying records. Or as you say, remembering seeing the Thriller video for the first time, all of those things is extraordinary. But I think sometimes you take art like that and you turn it into something that's about you, not about them anymore. Yeah, it's true. I wonder if that's the way that we should and can look at it in future because I just find there's something really depressing and really sad about saying then you reject all that beautiful work. Look, I mean, even if it turns out we hear some horrendous stuff in the future, it doesn't mean that the work that he's done hasn't been fantastic. Mm. It has been. Mm. It's just maybe our attitude to it might change as a result. I suppose the point I was trying to make with Indestructible around this issue was that idea that you can hold both those things in your mind at the same time and then both be true. That this is a wonderful work of art and a fantastic artist, but then at the same time hold in your head that the person who made it a monster was less than ideal. Yeah. (laughs) It's just the disappointment, isn't it? It's the disappointment. (laughs) Yeah, you're right. Yeah. (laughs) The last thing I was going to ask you is... Again, something I'm asking everyone was to bring along an unknown female artist or someone who isn't known so well because this whole sorry thing started (laughs) because because I really loved the photographer Lee Miller and was just surprised at how few people knew about her and her work. So who who have you brought along for us today, Danny? So this might be controversial. You also said it doesn't have to be someone necessarily from the art world. But it is someone whose work I absolutely adore it's connie booth oh yes who is the co-writer of faulty towers and actually just even saying those words now 
I wonder how many people realised she yeah. was the co-writer of Faulty Towers. I think it was voted by the Radio Times, it was voted the best sit British sitcom ever. Mm. I love the fact they just did the two series. I didn't know. They did the first series. They then got divorced in between the two. And then they co-wrote the second yeah. series together. Yeah. How they managed, what was going on there and the dynamic. You know, no, we're keeping that line. Well, we're not actually, you know. <laughs> you know <laughs> how they managed to keep that out and still do it. I mean, look, John Cleese, I think, is a genius. He's brilliant and I love his work. But it wouldn't have been what it was without her contribution. Mm. I mean, most people would probably say, you know, Forty House, that was John Cleese. Mm. Mm -hmm. How much would they say about her contribution to it? I doubt. And then, actually, I think she she's not an actress anymore, is she? She's no. a psychotherapist or something. And then recently I heard about the reboot to Faulty Towers, have you heard mm. about this? Mm. They're bringing it back. Apparently, he'd not said a word to her. Oh, she found out through the press that he was rebooting it. I think in the reboot, he's meant to be having a boutique hotel with his daughter, which right. is fine, but he could have contacted her and, you know. But for me, the genius of what happened in those 12 episodes mm. is a, a result of those two individuals together and I don't think she really gets the credit she deserves. No, I think you're absolutely uh, right. I think you're absolutely right. And they uh, are beautifully written scripts. Uh, they are extraordinary. Uh, if I wrote something like that, that would just be yeah. blown away. And and obviously it's the performances as well. Oh yeah. Know? I mean they're fantastic. Yeah, yeah but Prun yeah you're Prunella right. Scales is incredible. Oh, <laughs> I love her in that. But you're right. I think it's interesting, isn't it? Because it it is about how she will have mm. tempered some of the directions that he might have gone in had he not been writing, co-writing with her. Yes. Um, oh, that's a brilliant one. That's a brilliant one. I'd forgotten all about that. But she's great. Oh. Thank you. So Connie yeah. Booth, marvellous. Well, thanks, Danny. It's been lovely talking to you. Thank you. All right. I'll same, see you in the rehearsal room. Yeah, and same time next week. Yeah, cool. Why not? Right. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Bye. That's it for this season of Indestructible. Thank you to all of our guests for taking the time to share their wisdom and insight. And thank you for joining us on this journey. You can come back to this series anytime and listen again. But for now, I'm Mary Swan, Artistic Director of Proteus, and it's been a pleasure to have your company for Indestructible. <laughs> <laughs>